welcome to CAD Speaker Series Podcast. This week, CAD Student Ambassador Raven Tux is interviewing Angelica Natera, the Executive Director of Las Pau, an organization affiliated with Harvard University that has contributed to the educational development of thousands of individuals in Latin America through scholarship programs and knowledge exchange opportunities. Angelica just delivered a talk here at CID on empowering human capital and in institutions through higher education. Angelica, thank you so much for coming. No, thanks to you. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. So we know that Last Bow is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. Could you tell us a little bit about the work done by the organization over the past few years and how it has impacted um, higher education in the Americas? Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. And um, as you said, we are reaching our 50th anniversary and we have been serving Latin America and the Caribbean by strengthening higher education. Mm -hmm. We essentially have been connecting individuals mm -hmm. and institutions with opportunities of high quality university education. Mm -hmm. The way we have been doing this is through three lines of work. One has to do with access, mm -hmm. access to opportunities, precisely to be able to attend to those top quality programs that are not available in Latin America or at a different level mm -hmm. with the goal that then these individuals will go back to the region and serve the region, right? So the first line takes uh, the shape mm -hmm. of a scholarship that we develop and administer for uh, and with our partners mm -hmm. throughout the region, mm -hmm. meaning uh, organizations such as uh, the Organization of American States, the Fulbright Program for the Western Hemisphere, uh, which is, belongs to the State Department, foundations like the Kellogg Foundation, Inicia, which is a social investment fund in Costa Rica, um, the Dominican Republic, sorry. We have been, again, working with partners throughout the region these past five decades in advancing their development agendas through education. Countries like Brazil, for instance, through Science Without Border, was, is being one of the most ambitious endeavors in terms of developing a STEM education, STEM fields in general, and research in Brazil, and LASPA has been working with them. And uh, so that's one way of strengthening the region mm -hmm. through those opportunities. Mm -hmm. The second has to do with strengthening the quality of mm -hmm. universities across Latin America and the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned before in my presentation, uh, we envision a region that offers opportunities to all individuals to mm -hmm. have a top quality education. Right. Therefore, we have to affect the quality and improve the quality of universities there. So we have been doing that by connecting universities with experts, resources, best practices in learning and teaching for them to learn what works what doesn't work and develop their own model. We don't believe in the cut and paste model, quote unquote, mm, that's yeah. how I name it, where you know that, that's fatal in education. Mm. You can't expect that something that works here at Harvard or MIT is gonna work in Santiago or in Lima and in university there, no. But the truth is, is that by learning of best practices, these institutions then develop their own approaches, right? And we have many successful stories to share along those lines. The third has to do with relevance. LASPA have been working closely, and this is an area that's still very much to be done, with universities 
to strengthen and to, to expand the role in solving the challenges that societies face. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with articulating uh, collaborations between governments, private sector, and universities in addressing these challenges. Mm -hmm. So that's how we have been working with the region. Great. And going off of that last point with relevance, can you talk about a little bit some of the challenges that you've had within LASPA um, working in the Latin American region? Yeah. Well, challenges are many, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and even in a, in a region as fragmented as Latin America mm -hmm. is even more so, right? Mm -hmm. But I, particularly in the area of relevance, mm -hmm. what we have been learning is that is as if this each of these three sectors academia government and private sector speak a different language mm -hmm. they move at a different pace mm -hmm. and the lack of opportunities for these three sectors to embark on a dialogue and mm -hmm. a common effort towards In collaboration uh, exactly yeah. it is needed but of course then it's always the question who who takes the first step mm -hmm. who who moves forward first and in convincing who is the one who will be then taking the leadership here, mm -hmm. rarely we see the three sectors taking uh, it at the same time, right? I mean, but someone has to, dar un paso adelante, someone has mm -hmm. to take that step forward, and that's a challenge, you awesome. know? Yeah, and we see also, as an important challenge, the lack of policies that mm. stimulate this type of collaboration, particularly in relevance, which mm -hmm. is what you asked, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. So you spoke a little bit about the um, the, the capacity that your, your organization is trying to help build within across sectors, government um, and the private sector. And I would agree that those are some of the same challenges that we see in the U.S. when trying to deal with education issues. So what are some things that you feel that the U.S. or other countries could learn from your work that you're doing in Latin America? I love that you have that question. <laughs> um, because as, as you you know, I'm from the region, mm -hmm. I think one of the key aspects that we have mm -hmm. there is resilience mm -hmm. in Latin America, across the region, mm -hmm. from Mexico through down Argentina. Mm -hmm. uh, resilience. It's the ability to overcome challenges mm -hmm. in a creative way mm -hmm. with few resources. And, you know, you, you will find yourself many times in Latin America without electricity, even mm -hmm. if you are in a nice neighborhood, mm -hmm. or without water running water and still you don't stop your life for that mm -hmm. you just find your way to do it and that awesome. also applies mm -hmm. to the limited resources universities have in Latin America they still managing to be creative so yes I think I'm not saying I want to make sure <laughs> I don't want I'm not saying that you know US or no I there is a lot of resilience it's an important lesson but yeah. but I think in Latin America that's something that I like to highlight you know the ability mm -hmm. to to deliver with few or limited resources. Yeah. So now talking a bit more about your personal experience. So you have more than 25 years of professional experience designing and managing educational programs around the world. What are the main changes you've seen in higher educational programs over the past years and what do you think are the main global trends in higher education for the years to come? Well, one of the major changes, and we see that since 10 years ago, has to do with moving education, and I'm going to focus on university education, mm -hmm. right? Uh, moving from uh, a passive approach where students sit and listen and mm -hmm. take notes into a more, what is called active learning, right? Yeah. Where the students become the center. And here, you know, at Harvard, this is the core to how we learn, right? Yeah. How we experience education. But that's not something that was 
done much in Latin America 10 years ago, right? So we see the world moving toward that. We see the world because of technology and the, the, the abundance of information. We need to educate a professional, a new, you know, a new type of professional, someone that necessarily doesn't have to memorize anything because now you have everything available on your mm -hmm. phone. I can ask anything to Siri or <laughs> Google or, and I will find yeah. a close response at mm -hmm. least to what I'm looking for. Before, no. Before, you need to count only on books, on printed books. Mm -hmm. That's a major change. And therefore, we need to educate individuals that are competent, you know, very skilled in competences. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have been listening about critical thinking, problem solvers, decision making. That's what's called soft skills. Those are the most difficult to teach, mm -hmm. you know. So we see that, that important change in moving from content into competencies, moving from keeping the knowledge to sharing knowledge. And I think one of the mm -hmm. greatest lessons along those lines is the open course where that MIT developed years ago, you know, and of course now this MOOCs movement, you know, is how do we deal with that? I mean, one of the, the greatest uh, excitement I, I think is about being in education in these times is precisely how can we take advantage of, you know, the technology to make education even more exciting, more, more helpful to what society needs, right? Mm -hmm. Another trend is interdisciplinary education. Uh, you see much more how courses now are taught in combination between the School of Public Health, government, mm. business, three faculty collaborating. But why? Let's think for a second why. We need to educate individuals that really deal with complex problems. Mm -hmm. And if you only, in order to solve a, pro, a complex problem, you can't take it from one angle. Mm -hmm. You need to benefit from several angles of how to approach that problem. So it's exciting, it's, it's challenging. I think uh, having challenges such as energy, mm -hmm. water <laughs> management, mm -hmm. even something like ethics. Mm -hmm. You know how nowadays, how important to teach ethics is but not necessarily a course in ethics in the first year, right? Mm -hmm. No, teaching ethics throughout the life of their program. It's important because with all this that we're dealing big data, you know, now, I mean, I'm sure that at this time, many, many more people than we think know about our life, our habits, our, <laughs> what we do at what time. Yes. I mean, it's just scary. Mm -hmm. And having professionals where, you know, without, with lack of ethics, I'm only giving that tiny example, but mm -hmm. with all what I'm saying is we, we see progress, we see exciting trends, mm -hmm. but it's a lot to be done, I think, in terms of how we can teach better. Mm -hmm. I mean, at Harvard, of course, we, we are here in a wonderful place, you know, experiencing this firsthand, but in Latin America, it's still a lot to be learned, I think. Yeah, thank you so much for that very in-depth response. Um, actually, in your talk, you talked about a lot about access, which is one of the core goals of LASPA. And being that technology is taken off, as you just mentioned, around the world, um, it's really a force to be reckoned with within education. So what role do you think like online platforms and learning will take in the next few years? Can it replace traditional learning, especially in terms of increasing access? Or should they complement each other, or maybe both? I believe that education is about human interaction. Mm -hmm. And yes, that human interaction can happen through an online platform. But I think that the, the role that technology can play in terms of this access to information through these platforms, it's precisely about preparing 
the student to assimilate that information before going to the class. It's mm -hmm. what is called the flipped classroom approach. Yeah. I don't know if you have heard. And then basically when the student interact with the professor in the classroom, it's not to necessarily learn firsthand about this, but rather work in meaningful elements of the course that couldn't be learned just on their own. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when you take really the the opportunity to, to work with your professor in, in getting into the depth and the very core of what this course could be about before we went to the class and absorbed everything. And then you were sent off to your whatever dorm or home mm -hmm. and you had to figure it out on your own, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think that's the beauty of having this information available. I mean, extensive, of course, as long as the professor knows how to use it well and that really don't try to replicate again in the classroom what the <laughs> student learned outside. That mm -hmm. could be extremely bad and boring, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but I do think that access to technology will open fascinating opportunities, is already opening fascinating opportunities mm -hmm. for students. The fact that now you can have a class here at the Kennedy School and then maybe partner or have a peer uh, instructor in Beijing mm -hmm. teaching <laughs> some sessions of that course. Mm -hmm. Imagine, you know, it's exciting, right? The, the, you start seeing the world in a different way, right? So when I think about technology and this platform, it's about really access. I mean, you are taking access to another level. Thank you so much. And so for our final question, you're a Harvard alum and just gave a very inspiring talk to Harvard students. What advice would you give to higher education students to help them make the most out of this experience? I think you are in a, an amazing place, you know? Mm -hmm. It's uh, the fact that you can just go to events. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think time is always a challenge, right? So being very strategic mm -hmm. about what is that you want to accomplish at the end of your experience at Harvard? What is that you want to focus on? Because otherwise you can find yourself pull apart between making decisions and by the time they make the decisions then the event is over mm -hmm. or the experience is over. Yeah. But also take advantage of colleagues around you, mm -hmm. the staff, the, the, the humans around you. I think it's, it's so unique opportunity, right? And I also think the fact that going to, through the different schools, mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, someone from the business school can take a course or the, uh, the School of Education can take a course at the business school mm -hmm. and experience, even here at the Kennedy School, yeah. I find it fascinating. So taking advantage of, of the experience in general, interactions, but very focused. I mean, for me, that was key when I did uh, my program here. Oh, thank you so much. As a last and final tip, um, what are some ways that students or anyone else that is interested in work in higher education in Latin America can get involved with LASPA? Absolutely. I will invite you to go to our website, okay. um, www.laspau.harvard.edu. The good news now is that we Google, even if you write wrong the name, it's uh -huh. going to take you to the right place. Oh, so, you know, great. I know last part doesn't sound maybe <laughs> probably very awesome. clear. Mm -hmm. uh, but please, by all means, we'll be happy to facilitate connections for, uh, we're part of the community, mm -hmm. facilitating connections at the universities in Latin America, giving advice, we'll be happy to. And also for internships, you know, some volunteer work, I mean, or even just connecting, mm -hmm. you know, we will be happy to. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that's LASPA, L-A-S-P-A-U? Yes. All right. Thank you, you so right. much. <laughs> Thank, Thank you for joining us. Un gusto. 
If you want to learn more about CID and our events, please visit cid.harvard.edu.